Welcome to the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's a daily bite-sized morsel of our four-hour middle-of-the-night program. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. The Shift Daily Podcast starts right now. I'm Shane Hewitt here on the shift. Ryan Recker at KMOX. Uh, do we have my brother there? Can you hear us okay? Are we all set? Hello, Shane. How are you? I'm wonderful, Ryan Recker. How are you? Good. Everything's sounding great. We, we ducked in for a moment, and that's something Drex used to do with us. He used to duck in early to kind of get a peek into what we were doing before we connected. You were right on time. I mean, on the dot. Punctual. <laughs> punctual. That's what we do, man. We like to be on time for this. <laughs> And, you know, what yeah. was behind the scenes there, it took a little dancing to get us there. How's Ryan Recker? I'm curious, Ryan, um, we haven't spoken in a couple of weeks other than our messages back and forth on the phones, but, um, you know, how are you doing? And it's been a hell of a bunch of days uh, for you and the leader of your country. So I'm curious, uh, how do we how do we get into that? Yeah, and it's kind of hard to find the right way to get into it, mostly because there's so many varying attitudes towards it. This is someone that's loved and hated by so many different people in the United States. So Thursday night, that tweet goes out close to midnight, at least our time, that President Trump and his wife tested positive for COVID and what the next steps would be, which kind of put everyone into a flurry of reporting of what was going to be happening. A lot of other people getting tested. And then on Friday, he went to Walter Reed, which is mostly known for the work that they do with our veterans and Walter Reed, a world-class facility when it comes to healthcare, having a wing, I guess, that they set up for the president to have special care to fight COVID. It's been an interesting last couple of days, daily updates, messages from the president on social media, what's going to happen next? Still a lot of, a lot of questions up there. There's so many things going on, and it certainly got the world's attention. Man, if there was ever a headline that was the same across the planet on Friday morning, um, that was probably the headline. Um, what's it like for... Oh, yeah, and, and instantly. Like, even overseas, when we were... Since it was, like, overnight here, if you go and look at some of the news networks overseas in Europe and across the world, they're all reporting. It's all breaking news for them because they're on during the day, of course. They stopped what they were doing to report on what was going on here in the United States. Well, it's a scary notion when you think about it. I mean, any leader that gets sick, it happened in the UK, it's happened elsewhere. But I mean, in this particular case, it's so different because it's four weeks from the election. I mean, can you like if he got sick and he couldn't do anything for two weeks, you know, maybe he was worn out. I mean, hopefully he's going to be okay. I mean, he's still just a dude and he's still like him or dislike mm-hmm. him. I don't care about the politics, but he's still just a dude. And he's somebody's dad. Uh, his his young son, teenage son is still just a young man. Nobody wants to see anybody go through that. But if this were to be a In couple of week episode, yeah. man, like that's yeah. scary. Yeah. And it, it could be. And there's the question if he's going to go back to the White House and continue treatment there this week. If this Walter Reed trip was just temporary over the weekend to try to stabilize things, we're getting just, you know, little bits and pieces about his health when it comes to dropping levels and what he's how he's getting treated, what he's on, things like that. They make it sound like he can go back to the White House on Monday. And if that's the case, I don't know if he's going to do it just for the sake of showing confidence. I think a lot of times people are looking for a reason to have confidence that things aren't going to get worse and then they'll be able to carry on their way when it comes to whatever markets are out there or people trying to go on. But, you know, we saw a lot of people out there showing support for the president over the weekend, uh, people going to the hospital, things like that. There certainly has been a lot of that, but there's also been a lot of hatred, so, which is very 
disappointing to see that too. But overall, it sounds like he's doing pretty good. And from the videos I've seen him post online, he looks pretty good. He looks stronger. It looks like that the recovery is is happening. So that's encouraging. It is encouraging, and hopefully there's no long-lasting damage to this because it would be um, it would be terrible. It's terrible for everybody who has to go through it. I'm curious though your thoughts about the people outside the hospital because the irony for me, I mean, there's people out there protesting, there's people out there supporting, um, there's people out there sort of a bipartisan approach on some of them too, which is kind of cool to see. But there's still people outside the hospital with no masks on. Um, what, what's how's <laughs> that going? You know, I mean, you're in St. Louis, so you're a little far away from the old DC, but you know, does that surprise you at this point? The no mask thing outdoors, I, I guess it depends. So uh, depending on what we know about the virus, there's certain things that we could say, OK, is it safe to be outdoors without a mask on if you're distancing? Then, yes. You know, it, yeah, I would agree. They, they yeah. talk about some of the safest places for you to be is like in your backyard. You know, it, indoors is where the virus could really linger for a while. But you, you talk about outdoor exposure is not nearly as contagious as indoor. So then you start to look at, OK. Do our people, in order to be on a public street outdoors in front of this facility, should they arrest people for not wearing a mask? Of course not. I mean, I think no. that would be going too far. So then what do you do? So do you, do you ask people to leave? Do you ask people to move? What do you do? And a lot of times you do nothing. Um, unless they're disturbing someone else, you, you can't do anything. So I think that's where they're at. One of the things that I had heard, and I don't mean to quiz you on this, I just have so en enthralled by it, that some of the polit political people that have uh, been sick and they say, well, we're going to take the the advice and, and isolate. And so in Canada, for example, you can't do that. Like you don't have a choice in the matter, right? As soon as you have mm -hmm. symptoms, and um, I know that in my province of Alberta, my son had a sore throat last week. So we went through the online um, quiz, right? We go through the check mm -hmm. your symptoms and see if you should get a test. And once you get to the end of it, it tells you very clearly, yes, you um, have symptoms and you need to isolate. And if you'd like, yes, you can book a COVID test. And so then you can go book mm -hmm. your COVID test, but you've been basically told, and it says right there, it's it's the law that you have to do it, right? And so I found it so yeah, you can't. So once you have these symptoms, you have to isolate. And if you get a positive COVID test, then there's big fines if you go out in public and whatever. And I found it surprising. Maybe the rules are just so different in America that that these people are saying, well, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to follow the advice and, and just choose to stay home. Uh, is it not the same? Uh, I think they, they're more threatening. So they don't. Um, so this is what I've heard from people who have gone through this process. So basically, you can call your health department or I don't know so much about the online portion of it. It's mostly you call someone and they go down and they ask you a few different questions. So some of the big determining factors is, are you showing symptoms? And they'll say, OK, how long have you shown symptoms for? Then they'll ask, have you been around someone who has tested positive or have you been in an area where you've been close to people for more than 15 minutes at a time. They'll ask things mm. like these sort of questions. Or have you been in big public settings, whatever it is? And then they'll determine, well, you're not a risk or you're not a threat, we don't think. So no test is necessary. They, I don't think they go happy on testing. Now, they have the ability to do more testing. And some of these different like pop-ups, you see these little buildings pop up. Like normally this time of year, you start to see the Halloween stores popping up. They yeah, take right. over abandoned giant buildings and they start selling, you know, the costumes or whatever. It's like a seasonal type of thing. What you're starting to see is some of these smaller buildings are popping up COVID testing. I really don't know how that works, who pays for it or whatever, if there's people that just drop in to do it to do it or how accurate those testings are. I think a lot of times if you're doing it through the health department or a hospital, 
you know, you basically you go through the list. They recommend you go in and get a test. You take a test. It could take two, three days, something like that, depending on. Sometimes it could take even longer. If you get a negative test, sometimes they take a while to tell you you're negative. But if you're positive, yeah. they tell you they're pretty quickly. And then you go into the process of quarantining, social distancing. Well, you know, and your home, you know, you're not coming in contact with anyone else. And the other big thing is that um, they threaten you big time. So they say you have to do these things. If you do not comply, then the next step is, you know, I don't know. They, they, they put on the GPS tracker or whatever it is like you're. You know, you got like the what are those things called where you like put the it ankle bracelet your kind ankle. of thing, yeah. Yeah, the ankle yeah. bracelet. They could they could physically try to track you if if they wow. say you, they catch you not complying. So those are some other things they can do, but they they basically just they they try to intimidate you enough where you stay in and huh. till you have a negative test again. I think that, that's basically how they handle it. But every place is different. I mean, some larger cities have bigger networks when it comes to testing. Some smaller rural areas, not so much. Every city, county kind of has their own procedures on how they handle this sort of thing. Yeah, it's 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 actually doesn't sound a whole lot different. Just a different method, but the same sort of questions and stuff. It's kind of curious. Um, we were chatting on yeah. on our on our Twitter there, Ryan, about uh, things that we're doing differently. Um, during COVID, that's a little bit different. I had sort of shared that one of the things that I've noticed that I'm doing is I've been, I've been storing food differently. Like, um, you know, I, I don't wait till I'm so low on some things before I go and stock up again. Um, yeah. you know, was there something that, that you were doing a little bit differently? Yeah, I also have been stocking up, but what I've been doing different, I picked up a new hobby. And when you were talking about stocking food immediately, I thought, well, wow, that's like turned into its own hobby. Like you have a new stocking food obsession or something yeah, it's like kinda, that. Yeah, it's kind of like, like that. Yeah? How much food do you have stockpiled? Well, not a lot. I just, um, normally I would wait until, for example, I make a smoothie in the morning with cranberry juice, which can sit on the shelf, right? It doesn't need to be in the fridge unless it's opened. And so yeah. I, um, I normally would wait until it was just about done. And then next grocery run, I would get more. But now when I, I, I just, I don't wait as long, right? I've just noticed that I've got a little bit more. I've got extra boxes of, you know, uh, macaroni and cheese downstairs. I've got extra granola bars. I've got extra, just a little bit extra things going on. When I go buy cans of soup, I get three or four, not just one or two. I've noticed that I've started doing things just a little bit differently. So not a ton, like uh, the shelves aren't overflowing, but if there's yeah. a, a week long buffer or so extra needed, I, I probably am okay. I totally understand that. And it goes back to our insecurities with toilet paper at the start of all of this, right. which is if you see it on the shelf, you grab it. And in some cases, this is what happened because I've been doing the grocery shopping for our family and I'll come home and my wife says, I didn't put that on the list. We didn't need this. Why'd you buy it? And a lot of times it's just me at the grocery store thinking, ah, do we have it? Better safe than sorry. I'll grab another one. And then we get back home and I got like eight of them and I just don't know these sort of things. And so yeah. I, there's been a little bit of that. It's like, ah, well, I might as well get it while I'm here. And who knows? It might not be here the next time I'm here. So better safe than sorry. And a lot of these foods, they don't, uh, they're non-perishable. So we can just store them somewhere. But yeah. we, I got so much food stockpiled and I think it's just the mentality that started back up with the toilet paper. I wonder if we're going to be like that until we're old now. Cause you know, it's sort of that old war mentality of stockpiling things too. Mine was mustard. I would go out and be like, Oh, I need mustard. So I'd buy the Costco two pack, the giant Costco ones and then come home. Yeah. And then I already had like four of them downstairs. So now I have six mustards. Um, yeah. I'm like going to be good for mustard grandma, for 20 years. It, it was different when she went through the great depression and you talk about an, an era where there was a, I mean, real sacrifice for us. 
We still had all of our luxuries here. I mean, of course, people lost their jobs, their livelihood, and they were put into a position they didn't want to be put into because of this, for sure. But we're, if you go back and you look at the, the Great Depression and the way that hit the United States in that generation, that changed a mindset because, you know, they would bury their money in the backyard because they didn't trust the banking system. I don't think we've gotten to that point. Um, my grandma used to do little things that carried over until she died. Like, for example, she would take Ziploc bags and wash them and dry them and reuse them. Mm -hmm. And someone would say, what are you doing washing Ziplocs? You just you, you buy a box of 100 and it, they're not expensive. You just do it and you toss them when you're done. And she's said it's just a byproduct of what it was like growing up through the Depression, because if you didn't do that, you had nothing. You got there was nothing there for you. And she was so right about that sort of thing. Now, today. We might be inconvenienced for a while, but it's nowhere near that level where we're having uh, to think about reusing Ziploc bags and stuff like that. I have so, to confess, buddy, um, I still, I do. I, I wash them and reuse them all the time. <laughs> you wash your Ziplocs? I, you big I ones do. or small ones? But just the little sandwich ones. And even when the kids take them in their lunch, I'm like, well, you know, if it's got an apple, cut up apple or something in it, then just, you know, bring it home. I'll rinse it out. We'll use it again. I do it all the time. Oh, man. Wow. Maybe I'm a Does, little old granny trapped in this weird? body. <laughs> I, yeah, they give me the gears, but I yeah. don't know. I, they seem to a little bit, but not that bad. I, I don't think it's, they don't really say much. Yeah, I guess well, I've done it for a long time. I learned it from my buddy, Darren. I use and reuse the large ones if there's not like a direct food that touched it. So if I'm just kind of like, if I open up a package of something and I can't like seal it properly and I put it into a large Ziploc bag, I'll save it because there wasn't really food inside of the Ziploc. It was, I put the bag inside of the bag and i'll just like put it in a drawer and i'll reuse it for that type of purpose but i won't ever ever wash a bag why don't you just get like the regular sandwich plastic container things that you're meant to reuse and just wash yeah, well, those? I, I, I have those my kids lose everything i don't like if it's got meat like raw meat and stuff i toss them i don't use them like if they're really slimy and gross use spaghetti sauce in them or something you know i toss them yeah. but if it was just a sandwich or some berries or something yeah i mean i don't know it just well, seems responsible maybe well, you have standards here. No uh, raw meat going on to this sort of thing. And what about tuna fish? What if there's something like that could leak, something juicy leaking out of it? Would you toss it or wash it? Oh, you toss that. Yeah. I mean, we got to be. Okay. I'm still, I'm still kind of lazy here, right? Like, I don't want to wash more. What about stuff. something that's dusty, like a Cheeto, where there could be a little cheese that brushes off of it? Well, if it's going to make my sandwich taste like Cheetos, then yeah, absolutely. I don't think you can do that. I think that you, you can't sacrifice yeah. the hard work of the new sandwich. You're absolutely right. Um, however, I think the addition of a little Cheeto dust never hurt anything. So I would might be more inclined <laughs> to do something like that. You know, I picked up a hobby myself, something that I never really thought I'd get into. Um, I started collecting animation cells uh, Anim over the oh, like like the plastic the plastic things. So they're the clear plastic, basically what the old teachers used to do before everything was electronic. So you know how they would have the projector. And, you know, they would have a little piece of plastic and they'd have the yeah. marker, they'd write on the plastic and it would project onto the chalkboard or whatever. So it's like that. They're like these little pieces of plastic paper, but it was used in the animation studios to make the cartoons before everything went digital. And right. there's a ton of these things out there. Any episode has a ton of these little animation cells and, you know, people sell them and I've started really? collecting them. It's kind of cool. So what's your favorite one then so far? Oh, I don't know if I have a favorite. I, I'm I'm basically grabbing them as they become available. Some there's some websites that sell them. I'm I'm not 
a high-end collector by any means. There's some people out there that spend a ton of money on well-sought-after ones. I'm more of like, uh, you know, I'm going to go buy a cheap one because it's just kind of a cool little piece of history because, you know, every single one was used in a television show. You know, it's like it, it was on screen for a fraction of a second, but it was used in part to make a cartoon. And it's just kind of a cool thing for me to think I have a little little bit of history sitting in here. And it's, a, you know, it's relatively cheap to do it. It's not an expensive hobby, so that's yeah. nice. I love it. Well, when you get a favorite, then you let us know, because I'm curious, because I've seen some of the ones from Mickey Mouse. They look pretty awesome. I love it. Those are expensive. Now, Disney stuff's like high end, and I've learned a lot about it. You have to find the right way to storage, display. You know, there's there's a whole underbelly of people that collect these things, and you start to learn, because maybe there's an underbelly of people that have started stacking food like you do. And you can start to interact with them online. You can join like a Facebook group like I did. And then uh, it's actually fun. You, you like you learn new things about it. You're uh, you're way more where your hobby is way more fun than my hobby. Thanks so much, Ryan. I appreciate the time, brother. <laughs> I, I do, too. I'm so glad. And I uh, hope you uh, continue to feel better. It's always good to hear from you, Shane. Thank you. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. All right. Let's go to New Hampshire and say hi to Fred. Shane. Hey, Fred. Um, where do you find these people in the States? The guy says they put trackers on them if, uh, once they found that they're positive. What the heck? Uh, well, let me clarify that thought before you go too far there. So what he, uh, that was Ryan Recker. He's the host of Overnight America on Kim right. in St. Louis. Okay. And so what he said yeah. was, is he said that if you're caught breaking uh, isolation or quarantine after you've test positive, one of the punishments, this is what he said, one of the punishments you can get is they can threaten <laughs> to put a tracking device on you. You've got to be kidding me. Well, that's what you, he said. I, why, why, why do we have 200,000 people dead in this country? It, they, they do, oh, come on. Okay. In New Hampshire, we've lost under 500 people, which mm-hmm. is serious but we lost under 500 people we don't there's no tracking here i i i took forever for me to get a test my my wife's a nurse i've i've got a child that's uh medically fragile okay i i've been tested seven times uh you know the first time it took me eight days to get the the results back yeah. and so that what that meant eight days before that i wasn't positive Okay, most people wear masks, but there is that. There's a lot of people in this country that don't wear masks. And guess which one? One of the biggest one was. It's the guy who's at the hospital right now. Who this today got into a a motorcade Mm -hmm. in one of his limousines that are hermetically sealed. With mm-hmm. two FBI agents in the front, mm-hmm. yes, they had all all protective gear on, and went from outside the hospital, around the front of the hospital, and run around the back of the hospital. And those two people that were in front, he is positive. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a, a one of those M. Whatever they call it, Matt. No, he just had a he just had a, a fabric face covering on. Yep. Yes, yes, and he's he's waving like Santa Claus, and I'm going. You got to be kidding me! Now he's not in the hospital because he's just got mild symptoms, and even when if you have mild symptoms, you can catch it. 
what I'm trying to say is, Canada, you understand this, and you're doing a great job. How many people in Canada have died? The actual number right now? Yeah, you know? I'll get you the number. I haven't looked in a couple of days. Oh, it's not close to 200,000, right? Uh, No, 9,481. Okay. Now, we have a a larger population, but... It's about 10 times. Yes. But how many more brain cells live in Canada than live in the United States right now? (laughs) I don't know. That's all I got to say. Have a great uh, night, man. Thank you, Fred. I appreciate your thoughts. That's... uh, that's Fred from New Hampshire um, calling in and sharing his thoughts about Donald Trump. Um, I do love it when our American listeners, because we brought most of our transmitters, with the exception of really Edmonton, um, are right along the border. Maybe Kamloops, uh, right along the border, and 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 boom into into America. So we do get um, quite a few American listeners who call in, and I love it. The number is eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. I love to get the perspective from across the border, and that's why we do like talking to to Ryan Rutger. And, uh, and everybody who does call and text, uh, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, if you want to get in on it, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. All right. Uh, story out of the States. Why not? Let's do that. Let's uh, continue with an are you okay here on the shift? Are you okay with winning the lottery without a ticket? So keep in mind, like if you had, a, you had your own ticket to this lottery and they gave away money to somebody who didn't have a ticket. Are you okay with somebody winning the lottery without a ticket? No. They don't have a ticket they didn't play. Okay. Yeah, that would be that would be pretty unfair. I'd feel pretty chapped at that. Oh, chapped. Be, yeah, that's super wow. unfair. <laughs> yeah. Chapped. That's pretty good. You like that? All right. <laughs> I do like that. Okay. Well, I mean, okay, so if it was if it was you and you wanted to win the lottery without a ticket then that opinion might change because that's what's happened. A Florida, uh, Florida woman who was initially denied her $1,000 lottery prize when her ticket was believed to be lost in the mail was awarded her money. Here's the story. Sue was told over and over again, no ticket, no prize. But after I got involved, officials at the Florida lottery changed their minds. There you go. Thank you. (laughs) It's not every day a viewer gives me flowers and a cake. But then again, it's not every day they win $1,000 in the lottery. I can't thank you enough. She did the impossible. I hit the brick wall and I wasn't, my wheels were spinning. I couldn't get the information that I wanted. And that's when I said, better call Bankin. It turns out a little better call Bankin spotlight prompted Florida lottery officials to look harder for Sue Burgess's missing lottery ticket. And now they've found it, even after they'd already given her $1,000 prize to an alternate. Thank you, Shannon. Very much. Let me catch you up. Sue won in the July 29th drawing. Local lotto offices were closed because of the pandemic. So in order to claim her prize, she sent her winning ticket certified mail to Tallahassee Lotto headquarters. Tracking information shows it's still at the Tallahassee post office six weeks later. Lotto officials told me rules are rules and she'd have to forfeit the money. Well, after my report, the lotto office called to say they found the ticket had 
had been delivered after all. They then overnighted her a $1,000 check. You said that you know you were so excited and you, there's things you need to do with this money. What are you going to do with it? That car out there needs tires. <laughs> so we're going tire shopping. Sue is thankful she knew she'd better call Bankin. If anybody else runs into a situation, you call this lady <laughs> because she's going to get the job done. Sue says FedEx has delivered her check and she plans to continue to play the lottery. But now that offices are open, if she wins again, she plans to bring her ticket in person. I'm Shannon Bankin, 8 on your side. All right, it's NBC News, Shannon Bankin, and she's one of those, uh, you know, stand up for the people story uh, people on that channel. Uh, did a great job with that one. But am I the only one that finds this incredibly ironic? Okay, so she's trying to be responsible with the COVID and certifies tracking number for her ticket into the lotto office so she can get her money. And the tracking number stops at the post office. They say they don't have the ticket. So they, they award somebody because the deadline passes. They award somebody else the money. So now they've given the $1,000 away to someone else. So now they say, okay, we'll give you $1,000. If you're this lady, Sue Burgess, would you trust for them to courier you the $1,000 like she did? See, so she says, if I ever won the lottery again, I, I would take the ticket there myself. But th this is the mentality here. Just to be clear, she has no problem. She's going she's gonna to take it there herself. But by the way, we have a $1,000 check. We're going to mail it to you. And she says, okay. <laughs> I guess she really trusts the, the system. Part. She just That's, has to trust the system. I guess so. But, I mean, <laughs> this is the actual money. And they, uh, she's like, yeah, they, they FedExed her the, the ticket. So I find that to be... But painfully did, ironic does she not take copies of that original ticket though i would have scanned it i would have emailed it myself i would upload to my drive a copy of that winning ticket like did she absolutely just, did she just literally send it off do you buy lotto tickets ray uh once in a while yeah do you yeah. put immediately sign them i try to if i have a pen handy yeah 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 what about you jason you i know you're a gambler oh i don't i don't gamble yeah. No, it was being, that was me. That was my text message, sarcastic. Uh, but not even anything like you, like seventy million dollars. You're like, you know what? I'm maybe just just in case, you know, Sabrina and I, I can buy her a, a you know a, a bigger car to get into. Nothing. No, I'm not a gambler. The only thing, the only thing that's sort of close to it is I, I play like I play like a lot of fantasy sports. So I just give money in the beginning, get like the buy-in, and if you win it, then you just, you just get all the money. But that's that's as much as that's as far as I go. I don't really gamble, man. That's gambling. That's like saying I don't drink, but I sure like whiskey. <laughs> it's fantasy sports, though. It's like it's you're, you're like you can do stuff to win, where you're not you're not oh. like a lot of it's luck, but you're not really leaving it like a lot of like, it's, it's, it's it's about fifty. It's about fifty fifty. <laughs> you are like, describing Jason, gambling. Like, you're describing gambling, <laughs> Jason. It's like if you're at a slot machine and you can you can do things. You can choose which lines you're going to pick on the winning for when you pull the handle. And it's like when you're gambling and you're playing blackjack, you can choose which cards you keep and which ones you don't. So like you're <laughs> literally describing gambling, Jason. I mean, <laughs> he's oh, got nothing. Keep digging. Keep digging. Oh man. <laughs> I'm caught, caught, caught red-handed there. Caught red-handed right. there. Right. But that, play that's the, the only thing I do. All right. You don't play... Uh, uh, all right, text her from Edmonton. His logic is twisted. Whether you're picking a team or you're picking a number, it's still gambling. <laughs> wow, we just found a blind spot for you. That's pretty cool, hey? That's neat. Oh, man. 
Hey, there, Kenny Rogers. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Tune into the show online or on the radio.